0: The 6th of October 1974 Two nurses leave Brisbane to hitchhike to Dubbo in New South Wales They would never make it This is the case of the murder of Lorraine Wilson and Wendy Evans Part 3 Hi, I'm your host Cambo Grab a beer and pull up a deck chair This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Well, tonight we will continue the case from the last couple of weeks about the murders of Lorraine Wilson and Wendy Evans. Before we get into it, I'll do it, just do a brief recap of last week's episode. And if you haven't yet listened to part one and part two, please pause this and start with them. Okay, so Lorraine Wilson and Wendy Evans, they were on holiday after finishing their nursing exams In the first episode, we found out their movements and in the second episode, we had eyewitness accounts from quite a few people seeing a couple of young women struggling with several men on the side of Toowoomba Range Road. The women would be identified as Lorraine and Wendy and the men, or at least one of the men, was positively identified as Wayne Boogie Hilton. Tonight, we will go over what happened later that afternoon and into the night, and finish off with the coroner's findings. As the same as last week, I will be reading quite a bit of this directly from not only the coroner's report, but also I will be commenting on and talking about the 60 Minutes Australia piece. Now, that was called Mystery at Murphy's Creek. Another resource I have read is Eric Wilson, who's Lorraine's brother, His book, Echo of Silent Screams, which you can get on Amazon Kindle. He's also got another book, The Ricochet of Echoes. Now, that delves into what happened around the coroner's inquest. Okay, so several people have seen Lorraine and Wendy struggling on the side of the road. This is October the 6th, 1974. Now, no one stops to assist. And out of those that may have made a report to police, those reports were either dismissed or not investigated properly. In fact, police said that as as they'd had no reports from the women involved, then they didn't worry about looking into the matter any further. Now, that's fine if those women were roughed up and then reported the attack back to the police. But if they've not survived the attack, then it's a bit hard for them to go to the police. Now, this is just one of the frustrations that the families and friends the young women have had over the years. Now, some people only came forward decades after the fact as they just didn't want to get involved. Now, we're talking about nearly a dozen people witnessing the distress Lorraine and Wendy were were in. It started at Norma's house when Lorraine banged on her laundry door for assistance, then ran off to help Wendy through to the sightings on the side of Toowoomba Range Road. Now, Detective Rouge, who was investigating the cold case, he thought that the car was on the side of the road. This is when people are driving past seeing all this commotion. He thought it was on the side of the road because something happened while they were driving. Now, it looks like Lorraine was in the front seat and Wendy in the back. Boogie Hilton may or may not have been driving, but another one, at least one of his group, was in the back. Lorraine may have tried to grab the steering wheel to crash the car. She probably knew at that point they were in dire trouble and they had to try anything to sort of get away or or just cause more commotion to try and stop what was going on. It looks like that after struggling on the side of the road and trying to escape, Lorraine and Wendy were forced back into the car. At this stage, they may have been tied up with cord And then along with at least one other car, they proceeded to a clearing they often used at Murphy's Creek. Now, often used as in probably went out there to do similar things every weekend, a party place out in the bush. Okay, now the following is going to get a little bit gruesome, but if you have come this far, maybe you'll be all right to listen in. So just beware. So once Lorraine and Wendy were back in the cars, the group at this stage, and it consisted of two cars, well, they headed for the Murphy's Creek area. After driving off the main road and following several tracks, the group got out of the cars. At this stage, it's certain that Lorraine and Wendy were bound, most probably hogtied. They were dragged out of the car and they lay on the ground helpless. This would be the start of the, and I'm doing this in air quotes, Party, and it looks like several others would drive there and join them that night, including Alan Shorty Laurie, Alan Ungie Laurie, Larry Charles, James or Jimmy O'Neill, Donnie Laurie and Wayne Boogie Hilton. Anyone who turned up at Murphy's Creek's that night would see the two young women bound on the ground, but it looks like this was the norm with this gang rather than the exception and so nothing was done to help them. One of the six main suspects, Larry Charles, would confess to Desmond Edmondson two years after the murder of the girls. Now, Larry Charles is related by marriage to the Hilton family. Here's what Desmond had to say at the inquest. Desmond claimed that in the late 1970s, he was travelling with Larry Charles and they stayed at a caravan park at Rockhampton. He claimed during this stay, Larry was upset and told him it was a result of it being two years since them girls got killed at Murphy's Creek. Desmond claimed Larry told him that Boogie Hilton, Shorty Laurie, Jimmy O'Neill and Donnie Laurie picked up the two girls and took them into the bush near Murphy's Creek to party. He says the girls had sex with Boogie and Boogie and Shorty, but refused to have sex with the two other men. He said as a result, Boogie assaulted one of the girls and then invited one of those who'd been refused sex to do so. He claimed the other girl ran away into the bush screaming and Boogie and Shorty chased after the girl. He claimed Larry said Jimmy and Donnie threw the other girl into the car and drove around looking for the second girl. They found her and went back to where they'd been partying, at Murphy's Creek. He claims soon after Angie, Laurie and Des Hilton, they arrived with a number of other men. He says Larry said they all took turns raping and bashing the two girls. Desmond claims Larry said the girls were tied up against a tree and were unconscious when Boogie Hilton and Donnie Laurie walked up and wailed into them with sticks. He claims Larry told him they all then made a pact that if any one of them disclosed what had occurred, the others involved had the right to kill the one who'd done so. Desmond claimed about 15 years ago, probably around 1998, Larry Charles rang him and told him he'd told a priest about what had happened and then he claimed the next day Larry Charles committed suicide. So, you can imagine how totally petrified with fear Lorraine and Wendy would have been. The part where he said they had sex with Boogie but refused to have sex with the two other men. Now, for not one minute, I would think they would have wanted to have sex with this Boogie creature. More likely, they gave up the struggle from fear and hoped if they did what he wanted, they'd be let go. I don't know. But once they saw that others were going to rape them as well, they probably then again tried resisting. So there's another account from Walter Lorry. That's the brother of Alan Shorty Lorry and the nephew of Alan Ungi Lorry. Wayne Boogie Hilton is his cousin. Now he was only 10 years old at the time. Now Walter Lorry claimed that when he was about 10, he was taken by his mother and father into the bush near Murphy's Creek. He claims they drove to a bush track and stopped. It was in the night time. He claimed his father and uncle walked through a fence into the scrub while his mother stayed in the car. He claimed in the bush they met up with Alan Shorty Laurie, Alan Ungie Laurie, Wayne Boogie Hilton, Donnie Laurie, Larry Charles, Jimmy O'Neill, Kingsley Hunt, and Willie Baker. He said while they were there, Artie Laurie and some other people also arrived in Artie's car. He also saw Shorty Laurie's blue EH Holden and Ungie Laurie's green HR Holden there. Walter claims in the clearing, two girls were laying on their backs on the ground about three feet apart. They were semi-naked. He claimed, I remember that some of the guys that were there were making love to the two girls. He said, I definitely remember that Larry Charles was making love to the girl on the right side. He claimed that at one stage, one of the girls stood up and Ungi knocked her back down. I remember her saying words to the effect of, no more, no more please. She was begging them to stop. Walter claimed he then asked Shorty Laurie what was going on. What's he doing it for? And was told to mind his own business. He said, then Shorty stood up and hit me and knocked me off the log. He said, as a result, his father and Shorty got into a fight and Wayne and one of the other boys tried to stop it. He said his mother then came into the clearing and they left. Walter Laurie concluded, I believe that Shorty would have been involved in killing the two girls of because of what I've heard through the family and other friends. I know that Shorty is very violent and has a very short temper. I don't know for sure that Shorty killed the girls and he never told me he did, but I know he would be capable of doing it. He will be capable of doing something cruel. He said that I've never told the police about this because I've been too scared for my safety. I'm telling police now about what I saw because I don't want to see these murdering bastards get away with it. So here we have two accounts of what happened on that night. Now, they're not identical but they are very very similar. Now, there's another account. This is from a Kim Sandikok. She gave a statement to police in 1989 in which she described an incident she said happened in mid-1984. She said she'd gone late one afternoon by herself to the Crown Hotel in Toowoomba. She was sitting at a table by herself when she was approached by a woman she didn't know. She said the lady was in her late 20s and she looked a lot older than what she was. She said the woman told her a lengthy story about a man she must have been living with. The woman claimed her name was Ellen, but wouldn't tell her her last name. Kim went on to say, over the next hour, the lady told me about the murder of two nurses at Murphy's Creek, which happened some years ago. Kim said Ellen kept going into graphic detail, which shocked and frightened her. Kim said she repeatedly tried to make the woman stop. She claimed the woman was quite drunk and she spoke about what happened quite precisely and the woman was almost in a trance-like state. Ellen claimed she'd been present when the two nurses were murdered, although she did not take an active part in the killings. She claimed the girls were killed by Alan Laurie and one of the Hilton boys. Kim claimed Ellen did not deliberately say the names, but they slipped out during the conversation. Kim said she did not know either of the men allegedly involved in the killings, but she'd since heard a lot about Alan Laurie, who was, had the nickname Shorty. Kim claimed Ellen told her the two men had picked up the two nurses. She did not exactly say where. She said the men intended to rape the women and that murder had not originally been part of the plan. The girls were going to be taken to some scrub or a creek and she mentioned Murphy's Creek. She said one of the men was driving the car and one of the nurses was sitting in the front. The other was sitting in the middle of the back seat between her and the other man. She said the driver of the car was slapping the girl in the front seat and pulling her hair. She said the girl in the front seat at some time tried to get out of the car and when she tried to do this, the man in the back seat hit her with a bar to the back of the head. This allegedly caused the nurse in the front seat to fall forward and her head to bleed profusely. She was apparently dead. This caused the girl in the back seat to start screaming and so they put a gag on her. She said they dumped the dead body of the first nurse in the bush and then the second woman was killed. The second woman had tried to get away and they'd run after her. Kim claims Ellen told her one of the men had caught her and pulled out some of her hair. She claimed Ellen said this second nurse was killed by being hit with something and that they bashed her head in. She said that they did the last one worse than the first one because she was the one giving them all the trouble. After the second nurse was dead, she said that they dragged her body back near the other one. Kim Sandercock said she'd never told anyone about the meeting with the woman in the hotel because she was scared she might be killed if she did. So that last account says that one of the girls was killed in the car rather than at the Murphys Creek location. Still, the manner in which the girls were killed is spot on according to the autopsies. This Ellen, and I'm going to put Ellen in apostrophes right now, says... She was in the car when it happened, so who knows if her account is accurate or not. The inquest did suggest that Kim Sandercock may actually have been present at the time of the murders and used the made-up Ellen character so she could tell someone of the story but not incriminate herself. It seems fantastic that some random woman comes up to you and tells you details of a crime And some of those details had not been publicised. She just comes out of the blue and tells you all this stuff. I reckon Kim may have been there at the time, but who knows? Look, it's just a theory. Now, one more account. This is from Desmond Hilton. He was first interviewed by police in 1989. Well, he may have been interviewed before that, but in 1989, he told police, that in 1974, a Shirley Withers had threatened to go to police and report Donnie Laurie and Trevor Hilton, then tell them that they were responsible for the murders and they were very worried about this threat. In 1999, that's 10 years after, he told detectives that Alan Shorty Laurie, Alan Ungie Laurie, James O'Neill, Jimmy O'Neill and Larry Charles were responsible for the murders And Wayne Boogie Hilton and Donnie Laurie were responsible for going to Murphy's Creek the following day to look at the bodies and confirm the two nurses were dead. He said the morning after the murders, Alan Shorty Laurie, Alan Ungie Laurie, Larry Charles, and Jimmy O'Neill arrived at Donnie Laurie's flat in Evelyn Laurie's Green E.H. Holden. He said they were in a hurry to clean up the car, and while that was being done, Donnie Laurie and Wayne Hilton went down to Murphy's Creek. He observed that Donnie Laurie had blood on him and he went to Patty Hilton's place to wash up. Again in 2008, Desmond Hilton told the following version of events to Detective Senior Sergeant Kerry Johnson. He said when the two lorries, Larry Charles and Jimmy O'Neill turned up, they said that they'd given two girls a good hiding down the Actually, they didn't say down Murphy's Creek. They just said that they'd given two girls a hiding down the bottom of the range. He says he took that to mean that they'd done to the girls what they'd done every weekend for a number of years. That is, taken somebody out, given them a hiding, raped them, and when they were they got what they wanted off them, just left them there. He said Wayne Hilton and Donnie Laurie went down themselves to check on the girls. When they came back. They said the two girls had received a hiding. He was asked to clean the green holden. He noticed there was a smear of blood all the way across the back seat. It looked like somebody had been dragged across it. He said he saw that Donnie Laurie was washing some blood off his hands when he returned to the tap. He was told by Donnie Laurie sometime later that he'd taken a ring from one of the girls down at the scene and he sold it at the Five Ways pub for beer. He recalled that Shorty Lorry was showing Donnie Lorry how he'd kicked the girls by kicking or stomping on the floor. The thing is that during the inquest in 2013, Desmond tried to retract most of what he said, but he did say that Shorty Laurie was violent and he'd seen him stomp on his own mother. Nice people. Finally, now there was a dead, deathbed confession by Donnie Lorry to an Albert Galvin, in which Donny said, we killed the nurses, I was there, I didn't do it. When asked why he didn't go to police, Donny told him, they would have killed me. So, that seems to be a bit of a theme here. There's a silence amongst everyone, because they're all terrified, if anyone says anything, they're going to get killed themselves. Now, there's this one account from Trevor Hilton, I want to tell you about. Now, This is from the 60 Minutes uh, interview that he gave. Trevor told 60 Minutes how the gang would take women on the Friday night, rough them up and rape them over the course of the weekend. They would hit them to get them in the cars and if they resisted too much, they would throw them in the boot or the trunk. The girls and young women would be bloodied from the assaults. They'd be bleeding from the nose and mouths. Now, when Michael Usher from 60 Minutes asks Trevor if they did this often, Trevor replied, well, they did this from Friday night to Sunday night. Now, the the way he answered that was a bit unexpected. He didn't say occasionally they would get girls. He implied it was every weekend for years they did it. It's what they did. Friday night to Sunday night. This place at Toowoomba at the time must have been terrifying to live in. Now, a forensic examination of the cord that was found around the skeleton remains was the same as used by the local K.R. Darling Downs Bacon Factory. Wayne Boogie Hilton and Alan Shorty Laurie both worked at the factory at various times. Sadly, there would not be very much in the way of forensic evidence to positively link anyone to the murders, they did try to get DNA from some of the evidence, you know, being later technology, that just hasn't worked. A metal detector scan of the area did pick up Lorraine's ring and close by it a silver ring with a green stone, but this ring couldn't be matched to any of the suspects or anyone. Look, what we do know is that Lorraine and Wendy were with the Hilton and Laurie clans plus some of their rellos and friends on the afternoon of the 6th of October 1974, at a party in Toowoomba. From there, it's most likely they were forced to go to an area at Murphy's Creek where they were restrained, hogtied, most probably raped, and then bludgeoned to death. Their possessions were scattered about and they were just left there like garbage. No respect at all was given to their bodies. They were just left there to rot. It's known that this gang took girls on a regular basis, if not every weekend, raped and then left them to find their way home. And sometimes they would take the victims home, threaten their families not to report them. It looks like on this occasion, things went even further and Lorraine and Wendy lost their lives. As I said last episode, all up. There would be seven young women missing or murdered around this time and no one's been brought to justice. I'll just say their names again. It was Anita Cunningham, Robin Hoynville bartram Gabriel Yankee, Michelle Riley, Lorraine Wilson and Wendy Evans and Margaret Rose Warren. So when the coroner came to his conclusions, I'd just like to read out what he had to say. He said, an unexpected death always brings grief and heartache to the family of the deceased person. Aspects of these deaths have made that so much worse. Wendy Evans and Lorraine Wilson were happy, healthy young women with bright futures. Both had just successfully completed the first year of nurse training. Both were highly regarded by their superiors at the hospital where they worked and had many friends among the other nurses. Both were meshed in loving and supporting families, doting siblings looked forward to their frequent visits home. This joyful state of affairs was not brought to an end by a terminal illness or an unavoidable accident, rather the lives of these two fine young women and the happiness of their families were shattered by an unprovoked violent, vicious attack mounted to satiate the perverse sexual dysfunction of a despicable gang of thugs. Their family's suffering was made worse still by a long period of not knowing, during which, inevitably, false hope would arise until dashed by the discovery of their remains strewn around a paddock. They were forced to accept they would never again see their loved ones. I offer the families of both women my sincere condolences. There is persuasive evidence during the 70s A group of young men, most of whom were members of the extended Lorry and Hilton families, prowled the streets of Toowoomba in various cars assaulting men and forcing young women to have sex with them. Their violent depravity was visited randomly on whoever crossed their path, including family members and associates, male and female. Some of these offences were reported to police. Certainly local officers were aware of the problem to some extent. Either because of the then prevailing attitudes to rape that in part blamed the victim, or because the victims were too intimidated to more vigorously prosecute their complaints, an effective criminal justice response was not forthcoming. It's more likely than not, Wendy Evans and Lorraine Wilson tragically stumbled into this putrid pool of miscreants and were killed by them. Amazingly, a number of people drove by the incident on the Toowoomba Range, ignoring the women's frantic pleas when it must have been obvious they were in grave danger. With the failure of any of those people to even attempt to intervene went the girls' last chance of survival. Undoubtedly, they were abducted and killed by more than one person, but the identity of those responsible cannot now be established with sufficient certainty. With one exception, namely Wayne Robert Hilton. The purported sighting of Mr Hilton assaulting a woman on the Toowoomba Range by someone who said he knew him would not by of itself allow for a safe finding that he was responsible because some of the doubts about when and how the witness knew Mr Hilton. However, when considered in conjunction with the other evidence on his proclivity for rape, his confession and other admissions against interest, and his suspicious conduct in connection with a car similar to that scene when the women were abducted, I'm satisfied the evidence implicating him in the death of the two women reaches the required standard for a coroner's finding to that effect. Mr Wayne Robert Hilton is dead. I find there's insufficient evidence to justify any other person being committed to stand trial in connection with the deaths. I close this inquest. Michael Barnes, State Coroner Brisbane, the twenty eighth of june twenty thirteen. So there you go. At so many stages on the sixth of October, the outcome could have changed from all the witnesses that saw two young women in distress that didn't stop to help or the police in action if they had been notified of what had been witnessed. When that first police officer heard the screams, remember him, he couldn't find out where they were coming from. If only the night had been still instead of windy, he may have been able to locate where it was coming from and may have been able to intervene. Sadly, it's the friends and family of Lorraine and Wendy that have suffered over the years reading over some of Eric Wilson's book again today, Echo of Silent Screens, he tells how he felt partly to blame because it was him that suggested buying the VW that ultimately broke down and caused Lorraine and Wendy to hitchhike in the first place. How he thought the VW being air-cooled would mean no radiator and one less thing to break down. How he should have had it inspected before buying it. And how Susan the, the rello that they stayed at Camp Hill, how she agonises on in, not insisting Lorraine and Wendy take a bus rather than hitchhike. She's going pay to the, pay the ticket. It's these regrets, as you know, Islanders, they must torture the soul, the if-onlys that buzz around in our minds when stuff like this happens. But in reality, these family members, they've got no blame at all. It's these the two young women. They were just going about their lives. They were choosing their destiny. They were living their lives to the fullest. It would only be the evil of the Hilton and Laurie clans that would snuff out their vibrant young lives. Alan Shorty Laurie, Larry Charles, Donnie Laurie, and Wayne Boogie Hilton. They're all dead. Alan Angie Laurie and Jimmy O'Neill are still alive, but they're not talking. As you can imagine, they're not about to confess and end up inside. It's just too late to do anything about the others, especially Wayne Boogie Hilton. As I said last week, if you have any relevant information in regards to any of these cases, that is the Anita Cunningham, Robin Hoyneville-Bartram, Gabriel Yankee. Michelle Riley, of course, Lorraine and Wendy, or even Margaret Roseworn case. Call Crimestoppers on Crimestopper.com.au. Well, at least get them on the web. There's plenty of ways you can contact them there. If you want to, you could even contact me. I'd rather you contact Crime Stoppers. We can't forget these young women. We need to try and find justice if that is all possible so many years after the event. And we see it can be done. People also share all these three episodes. The families don't want these cases to be forgotten. Now, I will be bringing you the other cases around this in the future. I am waiting on certain information before I can do that. It is believed they could all be linked. That's why anyone who has any information needs to come forward to police. Okay, that's about all. For this tragic case tonight We may have more in the future on this I think I've covered most of the aspects tonight Now before we get out into the shout outs I've started to upload some of the episodes to YouTube For a few more audience members at this initial stage it won't be any fancy video or a camera on me (laughs) It will be strictly for those that want to listen To True Crime via YouTube Which isn't a bad way to do it I've got the Samantha Knight case, Crump and Baker, the bigger Schoolgirls. I've got a couple of others, and I may actually put each weekly episode up. I will put this three-part episode into one part and uh, upload that. Please subscribe to the channel and share with your friends. Once we get a few more subs, I might do a few special video segment segments. We'll see what happens. You never know. Bunny and Tara might get involved. So, now to the Patreon shout-outs. It's a big... Shout out to Letty May. Thank you very much, Letty, for your contribution. And to Michelle Barks. Thank you all so much, Boomfuckalunga. Thank you so much for your support. And thanks so much to all the present and past Patreon supporters of the island. It really does make a difference. And as you know, True Crime Island is a totally listener-supported podcast. I keep it ad-free. And I know you don't like ads and neither do I. Also... If you can't afford it, don't worry. If you have to drop out for any reason, I don't mind at all. Um, Whatever participation you can do in it, that's fantastic. If you want to support the island financially for as little as a dollar a month, you too can become a patron. Go to patreon.com forward slash island and check out the levels and rewards. Emails go out this week for the awards, so please reply if you're getting one. You can also do a one-off donation at paypal.me forward slash truecrimeisland as Christina Corrales from Peru did last week. Thank you again, Christina. Also, you can support the island by getting hold of some merch, such as t-shirts, hoodies, whatever you want, mugs of rage, all available from truecrimeisland.threadless.com. Remember, listeners, please don't order the black mugs. They don't work. I do have keychains, lapel pins and stickers which you need to contact me directly for. This can be done by emailing me, cambo at truecrimeisland.com. That's also the best way to contact me personally for anything else such as case requests or just to say. Boom, fucker, Now you don't have to spend money to support the island. You can also rate, review and tell your friends, family and workmates about the island if they don't know how to tune in and show them. Because there's so many other podcasts in there. If you think I swear a bit too much or my voice is no good, whatever, you might find one of my well, podcasts I've promoted might fit you perfectly. So there's plenty of things out there to listen. Search for True Crime Island on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and join the Clones group on Facebook if you want. Shout out to Curtis in Melbourne. Boom, fuck along, mate. Also, all those links will be on my website at truecrimeisland.com. So that's about it for the show tonight. Lots of love to Maggie James, and I'm your host, Cambo. You've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say... Get to delete your browser history, good night, boom, bug along.